I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. This is the Anxiety Bites podcast, and I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Welcome to another episode of Anxiety Bites. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Well, another Valentine's Day has come and gone. Did that affect you in any way? I'm being a little silly about talking about Valentine's Day last week and then this week, but hey, I figured, you know what? Let's commodify it and talk about love. I don't even think I used the word commodify correctly there. That's okay. Hang with me. So if though, unrelated to any Hallmark holiday or not, if you are wondering, why do I have such a bad picker? If you are wondering, why do I feel so devastated after a breakup when I wasn't even with the person that long? I can definitely list a million issues I had with them that I wish could have changed what is happening? Why do I tend to meet the craziest people and then I see other people and it just seems to go so easy for them? So I talked to therapist 
Kat DeFada about all of this today. She loves talking about attachment styles, which is the answer to all your problems, or at least understanding them is um, the beginning of your journey in knowing how to work on some things that might change the way you show up for or don't show up for not just romantic relationships, but all relationships and even relationship to self. But we were talking, you know, a little bit before the microphone was recording about that TV show, The Millionaire Matchmaker. And uh, the woman on it would always say to her clients, your picker's off, your picker's off. You know, like the thing that makes you pick people. And I find that so incredibly frustrating because I think what the millionaire, well, what I know the millionaire matchmaker is getting wrong, and I know it's just a cute expression, right? It's a, it's a way of her saying, this is your fault, but like you're not inherently bad, and yes, you're worthy of love, but you're making some mistakes in your choices. But it's not about the first choice you make. It's not about, oh my God, people with a good picker say yes to someone who asks them out, and they inherently know that that person would make a great partner, and they say no to all the troubled people. Not really. It's less about the initial moment of picking, you know, someone to go on a date with or have a crush on. But what do you do when it's not meeting your needs? Even if you know that within a couple of days, even if you see massive red flags within a few days, do you stay and think, well, maybe I'm wrong or maybe it'll get better? Do you ignore the feeling in your stomach that says this just isn't good? That is where making choices comes in. And that's if you want to use the expression, your pickers off, you're picking to stay. Other people that you think are quote normal, they would just peace out at that point. And you might not even ever hear about these stories, right? It's like going into a uh, clothing store and you try on a million things. And if you end up buying a bunch of stuff that, well, it doesn't fit now, but after next week, you know, I'm going to have that root canal and then I won't be able to eat for a few days. And so I'll probably lose a lot of water weight. So these pants will fit perfectly in about a week. Oh, well, you know, this doesn't quite look good on me, but I'll figure it out. If you just think of it that way, in terms of, of shopping, it's like, are you doing that in relationships? Well, you know, nobody's perfect. So, and it's like, well, no one's looking for perfection, but does it fit you? And, you know, you might see someone who doesn't have the same, well, I'm going to, well, I'm going to stop with this stupid clothing analogy. I think you get what I'm saying. I was going to continue. I just saved you from hearing me go, well, and then the person who tries on something, I mean, I can't believe I thought I should do that. Anyway, you don't need to hear me babbling anymore. Let's just get to this episode. But I met um, Kat Defada when I was on her podcast, which is also here on the iHeartRadio network iHeart Podcasts, her therapy, her therapy, her podcast is called You Need Therapy. And I was on her show a few months ago and she is just such a delight and she's so smart and she's so excited to talk about therapy and psychology that that's my favorite kind of guest is just, I mean, actually no one on this show has not been excited. So I don't know what I'm talking about, but let's get right into it. Now, actually right now, um, on her own podcast, youneedtherapypodcast.com, Kat Tafata is doing a whole series really in-depth on attachment styles. So definitely listen to this episode first, find out more about it. And we do talk about our personal experiences and then head on over to her podcast and really dive deep. But um, so Catherine Tafata is a licensed therapist 
She has her master's degree. She's the founder of Three Chords Therapy, which is a private group therapy practice in Nashville, Tennessee. She's the host, as I mentioned, of the You Need Therapy podcast, where she invites listeners into conversations around what it's like to live fully in a world where we've become accustomed to shut parts of ourselves off. The You Need Therapy podcast is a space that welcomes everybody in discomfort, asks tough questions and hard truths, all while showing how to find joy through it all. So here is my chat with Kat. So you're going to tell us about the two insecure attachment styles, which is perfect for the Anxiety Bites podcast because this does involve anxiety, right? Yeah. All right, tell us. And I will say the reason that this is really important is because um, if you have an insecure, anxious attachment style, those people have the highest tendency to have things like OCD, anxiety disorders, and just like generalized anxiety disorders. So let's start from the top. We'll go from the very beginning. So there was this guy. And if you, have you learned about this, like John Bowlby and all this? uh, Not, Not that in depth. But to, yeah, take us through the history because I certainly am no expert. Okay, so there's this guy. His name was John Bowlby, and he was a psychiatrist. And after, I think it was, um, it was in the 1950s, and he was working in orphanages somewhere. I don't know where he was, but he was in an orphanage. It was watching these kids and these small children get all their needs met, like uh, food, shelter, water, all of that. But they weren't um, thriving, and they were actually like the opposite was happening. There was a lot of stuff that was like, didn't make sense to him of why are these, these children um, uh, becoming ill and all different ways. So mm. he developed this theory, attachment theory, and basically it said there is another part of survival that we're missing and it's our attachment. And basically said that our attachment system is just as important as any other system in our bodies, like our digestive system or something like that. Like without attachment and connection, we will not be able to thrive as humans or as a species. And if you think about like back in the day, um, like back, back, back in the day, like even like caveman times, it's like people Mm -hmm. that were in a pack were more likely to survive than somebody who was living alone on an island, mm. right? And so from the our earliest beginnings, we've been taught that like to thrive, we need to be connected to somebody or something in some way. So he developed that theory. And then later, this woman named Mary Ainsworth did this study called um, the strength situation. And it is probably the most important part of attachment research. Did you say the strength situation? The strange situation. Yeah. Oh, strange situation. Okay. So I won't go into all of that, but basically it was an experiment where she had like a um, primary caregiver, a mom, and then a small child. And what they would do is the mom would leave and then come back. And based on the child's um, response to her leaving and coming back, they developed the different attachment styles for early childhood, which you had secure, which secure is 50% of people in the world. Mm. So, and that's an adult too. Like 50% of us are secure. Also, you can have an earned secure attachment. So let's say we had an insecure attachment early on, or we developed it later in life. That can change. So we don't have to worry and fret and think that we're going to stuck here forever. So you had um, secure, and then you had three insecure types. One is disorganized. And that one, there's not so much research on most likely it's not you. It's like two to 5% of people. 
And so we mm. won't really talk about that today. Okay. Um, and then you had um, anxious ambivalent and anxious dismissive. So, so those are the early ones. Then we move to adult attachment and we have the, the disorganized, which is fearful, avoidant, and adult. Then you have secure. Then you have um, adult anxious and adult avoidant. And then you also might hear those being called the anxious one being preoccupied and the avoidant one being called dismissive in adult attachment. In the adult yeah. attachment. A, okay, so that makes sense. It's a lot sense. of words. It's a lot, yeah. But it's interesting. It's good to know because for anyone just kind of Googling out there, um, you might see things and say, oh, that's me, you know? And you just have to know a little bit more about it before you self-diagnose mm-hmm. because you might yeah, <laughs> you might be leading yourself down the wrong path yeah. and stressing yourself out. Yes, no, really, because I think that people, this stuff is so interesting and it's so helpful. And so people are like, oh, I want more of it. I want more of it. I want more of it. But if you just Google this, it's like you get inundated with all this information and you don't know how to like organize it. And then it all starts to sound the same. And then you're like, I am never going to get out of this hole that I'm in. I've been looking on the internet for seven hours. Like it's a lot. So I think that what you're saying is important is sometimes you just need to take a back seat and maybe like go to like the person who knows it, the professional, and not try to just Google search all of your issues. But it's hard. Yeah, I found for me when I, you know, I mean, it took me, I'm I'm 47. And I didn't find out about attachment styles until I was in my early 40s. Mm. It really would have been helpful earlier to understand um, so many things about how I was in relationships that, you know, I'm not going to say wasn't my fault, but like was, wasn't my fault, but something I could change or something I could look into at least, or just when I know I'm up against a a dead end here with someone else and their attachment style that, you know, we're not going to change it. And then once I started getting a lot of work done on myself, just as an individual, I can now say that I'm pretty a hundred percent that I'm securely attached. My, uh, a very short lived, but relationship I had a little while ago was just didn't work out, but it was like, because I was so securely attached that I, to, that, that, because I feel like I've moved into secure attachment, um, which I look at as a relationship with myself, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, that what wasn't going to work out about this relationship was fine with me. It didn't make me go, but this person's perfect, yeah. except for the big glaring things that aren't perfect, yeah. you know? Anyway, I was fine with it. it. It hurt in a very normal way for it to end. So I was like, oh, that was fun. Like, oh, that could have been fun. It's, it's always okay to mourn. You know, we're human. We're going to mourn. Oh, that would have been fun. Imagine if this kept going. But it was, and it was like, ah, oh, here I go, returning back to the sea, you know. And it was like, kind of like mildly painful, just for a little bit. But definitely not the... um deep despair Honest to god the despair yeah. the the let me just i don't care if the world ends i'm so depressed over this person that i you know again i'm not talking about major relationships that ended like smaller ones that you know i was getting triggered by this different attachment style thing but didn't know it it's just the depths of despair when these relationships end and you can get misdiagnosed a love oh, addict you yeah. get misdiagnosed a codependent and it's like all of that is great to look into. I think we should read everything we can about everything. Um, there's always helpful stuff everywhere. But again, it didn't click for me. And I didn't feel like I have something to learn and, oh my God, good, until I read even the slightest bit about attachment styles. So it is helpful, but then you have to kind of take it to your therapist and say, 
you know, help me unpack this and, and all that. So I'm sorry to interrupt. I had to go on my personal monologue, but that's, you know, been my experience so far. No, that's so good because I, I will say as a clinician who literally uses attachment theory as a basis of everything that I do, I have to take some time sometimes and be like, okay, what is this? Because what we want to do is we want to find a solution to a problem. So if I can just diagnose you with codependency, it's like, boom, we're done. We're good. But I have to be like, wait, what else is going on? But there are a couple of things that you said in that that were so important. One, the thing about overdiagnosing love addiction and codependency. The other thing, when you were talking um, about being in these relationships and being like, well, I'm not trying to change them. I'm not trying to do this. You're not. What you're really doing is you're trying to change the 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 mental model you have of yourself. Because the question that we're asking ourselves Ooh, is, go explain. Yeah, so the question that? that we're asking ourselves is, am I worthy of love? Am I worthy of attention? Am I, I worthy? So that's what we're trying to figure out. So when we're with these people who are like giving us these like little red flags or whatever is happening, it's not that we're yeah. trying to change them and make them a better person and heal them, that we're always trying to be these fixers and have this like savior complex. It's that we're trying to prove that we are worthy of love. So if we can stay in this relationship and make this person who's maybe they're avoidant or maybe they have all, okay, then I can prove to myself that I am worthy of love. And that goes back to that earliest example with talking about the um, emotionally avoidant dad. So if I can then be with this person, I'm not trying to change this person and, and make them this like, um, like ooey gooey, lovey, emotional person that they're not. I'm just trying to prove that I'm worthy of love and that this person will stick around. Yeah. And I've done that. And it was so funny though, because I remember my therapist did say something like that. She didn't explicitly say in this, you know, sometimes I need facts yeah. and things to read. So if she had said that's an attachment style thing, I would have taken it more seriously. Sometimes, you know, how it can be when you're a, a patient and you, your therapist says something and every once in a while you kind of like my brain doesn't assume she's talking from a clinical standpoint because it's such a personal relationship yeah. that every once in a while I can react as though it's a friend or parent telling yeah. me something and I can get a little defiant and I can be like, mm, I don't relate to that. You know, mm-hmm. I love myself. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a comedian. I go on stage and I don't even care if people don't laugh. I love myself. I travel alone and I do. Yeah. I mean, I think I have a really healthy self-worth in a lot of ways, that's why it didn't make sense to me that in this one area, when somebody was avoidant, you know, of course they don't always, and then we're not talking about narcissism, love bombing. We're not talking about that. But when someone is really into it at first, and for me, that's always a red flag. Now it is, didn't used to be. When they're really into it at first, I can usually clock, like now I could clock it. Like, okay, give this three weeks and you'll start being avoidant. And I'll say, hey, you're just it's not that I want to be around you every second, but you're just acting Difference. differently than you first did. So I'm wondering, like, is this your natural kind yeah. of progression um, and it's all good? Or is this going to keep going and going and going and going less and less and less and less? I, I'm not asking for a lot of attention. I'm literally just asking, like, has anything changed? Should we talk about it? And I don't realize that I'm not saying that to someone that can handle yeah. the question. So all they hear is, oh, I need you, I they need you, I need you, go. I need you. They're like, see you yeah. later. And it's like, I'm literally just saying, so you used to want to hang out every day. Now you want to hang out twice a week and in public. And that's totally cool. 
Like I would, I would love that too. I, I just let myself go the first few weeks because it was fun, but I have a life and so do you. This is great. I'm just making sure. Are we both on the same page or was that, yeah. has something changed? And I, I literally had that once with someone and they were like, oh my God, you're, you're so needy. So oh my gosh. Yeah. Ew, get away from me. That's what they do. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not needy. And then I would tell my therapist, I'm not needy. And she'd be like, well, let's look into that. And I'm like, no, don't do the thing where I say I'm not. And then we look. <laughs> Like something, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it was like, then she'd be like, oh, well, they're, you know, you're pursuing because they're running. And I would be like, that's so basic. Like, I'm not like that. But I didn't understand that it was smart and deep and a real thing called attachment yeah. styles. And that that helps me. Like, if I can feel like, oh, I'm just a, a human who's caught in a clinical thing. Oh, amazing. You know, if you're, you, the example you gave is like a little girl with her dad, but this doesn't have to be gendered in that sense, right? No. So like, yeah. if you're a woman dating women, it's not like your mom did something. It can be your dad, your mom, just whoever the caregiver mm-hmm. is, right? This is all oh, kind yeah. of a genderless yes. thing. It's, well, so okay. your early attachment is based off of your primary caregiver. That could be a mom. It could be a dad. It could be a grandmother. It could be a nanny. It could be whoever right. is your, you're going to, you're going to be create your attachment style based off of the person that's in the closest proximity to you. And then as you get older and you look at your attachment figures, it's just whoever's around. So it's more likely based on off of research that men are going to lean more towards avoidant and women are going to lean more towards anxious in the insecure style. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that can be whether men are dating men and women are dating women and women are dating men. Interesting. Okay. But if you think about, if you think about that, like to avoid and, that's to say that like a woman, a woman can be avoidant and a man can be anxious. Yeah. That's just the general. Um, but when you have two avoidant, you're not going to usually find two avoidant people dating each other because it, they, they won't even match just like, like the cosmic. Well, they're, or it's going to be very short. Yeah. Because if you think about it, of your example was perfect when you were talking. Somebody who has an adult avoidant attachment in the beginning of the relationship, it can look very love bomby. Like it can look very much like all the attentions on you. They always want to be around you. You're sitting there being like, wow, this is pretty awesome. Even if you're secure, you might miss the red flags. You're like, this is great. This, it feels good, right? It feels really good. Yeah, it feels available and not inappropriate. And it sounds just like every other love story you hear where it's like, we knew right away and we spent the whole week together, you know? Yes, 100%. So what's really happening right there is that an avoidant person, they have been taught um, to kind of like shut off their feelings and their needs. So I think of it as like the example I always give is like, imagine somebody in like footy pajamas. It's like from their toes all the way up. It's like zipped up. Those are their emotions and their needs because they were taught very early or throughout other relationships in their life. If I have feelings, feelings then signify a need. So if I have feelings, then I'm going to have a need. And every time Mm. I have a need, my needs aren't met. So I'm going to just go backwards, don't want to have needs, so I don't want to have feelings. So they just cut themselves off. And they do that in a million different ways. One of the ways is preoccupation towards other people. So I'm going to give <gasps> wow. I'm going to give you all the attention, all the attention, all the attention, all the attention so we don't have to focus on me. I don't have needs. But then when the relationship starts to like actually develop and there is some expectation, right? So they've Mm -hmm. given this um, view of their relationship that they're always going to be there. Well, then all of the sudden it's expected that I'm going to be there. Oh, I can't do that. They make it look like, ew, you're so needy and gross. Get away from me. But really Mm -hmm. their attachment system is 
turned on and they can't handle that because if then they start to need somebody or there is an expectation, they're going to let that person down. They can't handle it. So then they push you away. And a lot of times they'll do that through like self-soothing behaviors. So if you find yourself in a relationship with somebody like this, they'll like work a lot. They'll overwork or they'll uh, video games or they'll preoccupy themselves on like social media or something like that because they have to get away from the like interpersonal relationships. They're very independent. Very much so. But the interesting thing is, which I love pointing this out for people that are like new to all this, is people look at somebody who has an avoidant attachment as like better than somebody with an anxious attachment. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because we're taught that independence is so... Yes. And it's funny because it's not true independence. No, at all. You know, independent people aren't afraid of other people glomming onto them like a ex like a ghost no, in your no. house you know <laughs> like no and and you were talking about the codependency thing of like how that's been kind of demonized but the thing is go back to the beginning of this conversation we were literally created literally created we were born attached to another human being like you had to cut yourself yeah. away from your mother when you were born we were created to need people. And so we have Mm. to have people in our life. We have to have connection. We have to have that to thrive. So we are, when people call people codependent all the time, no, we're all codependent to a degree and we need to be. We have to be. So somebody who's avoidant is like, ooh, codependency, get away from me. Gross, go away. I'm going to go over here and do my own thing and look like I'm like the top of the world. And people are going to then praise that. Oh, they're so independent. We'll be right back. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder, 
But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. It's so weird. We praise people for being independent. And then the first thing you say to a single person at a party is, have you met someone? And it's like, you know, it's like so many mixed messages. But okay, so let me ask you to define. Let's go into, I mean, you tell me you're the you're the therapist, but I thought it might be go into however you want to. But in terms of like, let's say there's someone listening and they're single and they're like, okay, I'm just learning now Mm -hmm. that this picker thing is kind of BS. Talk about the two anxious attachment styles. Now, I don't know if you want yeah. to talk about the adult. We'll do adult. We'll okay. do adult. And I I want to say this too, because when you said that, I was like, ugh, um, made me think of when pe- you're at a party, people are like, have you met somebody? And then yeah. you'll hear somebody say, well, when you least expect it, you'll meet them. Just, just That's stop. That's a terrible just, thing to say. <laughs> yes. Just stop. Just stop wanting somebody. It's like, no, we, if we cut that off, that is going to lead us less likely to find somebody. Keep it inside your soul that you want to be connected to somebody. Oh, that's a great point too. Yeah. But also it's just like kind of rude and it's not helpful. <laughs> I, I was thinking that like, like I, I'm not, because of my attachment styles and just how I'm wired, I don't relate to the generic, yeah. I want to meet someone romantically. I always go, when people say they're like lonely and pining for a relationship, I go with who? Right. <laughs> like to me, I have to have a person in mind. And I know that that's like not totally, mm-hmm. you know, like 100% on the spectrum of healthy, but I have 
a billion friendships and I'm constantly connected to other people. Like I am such a love bug and such a social creature. But on the other hand, I'm, I do really well. Um, and I don't mean on my own independent alone, but I just do really well without a partner right now. Um, and I have had times in my life where I'm, I'm like so fulfilled and happy with like projects and friends and exploring and travel. And people will say, that's great because you're in the, when you least expect it part of your life. And I go, well, don't ruin this yeah. part where it's like the, the only payoff for this, um, you know, quality time with self is that I meet someone oh. at the end. Then that was all worth it. Yeah. Like, cause what if I never do then, then, that you know, the there's point? just no, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to keep in your head that we need connection, but it's also fine if not, right? And it's not the point. But you're not, you're like, connected. You, you're talking about like, oh, the only connection is a romantic partner. Well, that's not true because you're also, what you just said is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to move from a somewhat anxious attachment to a secure attachment where I yeah. am now connected to other people, but I'm okay self-soothing in myself because yeah. somebody who is um, avoidant, they will, over self-soothe. So they're over-dependent. And somebody who's anxious will under-self-soothe. And the only way to soothe themselves is through one special person. What I used to be like, and again, I thought it was normal because I don't know, why would I not think this? But, and also because when you're busy, sometimes it really is just, you have not mm -hmm. enough time. And so in my relationships, it's like, I work all day and then I'm doing comedy at night. I don't have a million hours to, to see a million friends. And so my partner became my primary sounding board for everything. Mm -hmm. And it was like, if you had asked me, I'd answer in almost a Larry David way. Like, what? I'm supposed to go home, tell my partner every single thing that happened, every single anxiety I've had. And then I'm supposed to call a friend and say the same right. thing to them. And then another friend. I didn't know that you don't, I didn't even know it was like dumping everything on a partner. I really mm -hmm. didn't. And so I had someone point out to me once, like, you're so anxious. And I was like, what? the hell are you talking about? I'm not anxious. I travel all the time. I used to have a fear of flying. Now I don't, I really didn't realize. And I don't think he, cause he could only say you're so anxious. He couldn't expand on it. And I think what his soul and brain and subconscious was trying to say is you are putting everything, everything on to me, even if it's not big and dramatic, but it would be little things throughout the day. Send a text. Oh my God, the mailman just fucked this up. Oh my, it was just like everything. every minute there was contact, you know, and there was like, and I honestly, like, I didn't take into account what it feels like to be on the other end because I didn't think it was a big deal. I, if I send that text, you never have to write back. I don't care. I'm just mm -hmm. unloading, mm -hmm. you know? And so once I got out of that relationship, which was really, really painful to get out of, um, it was not my choice. I, the last few years have been basically pretty much single. Mm -hmm. And man, I've learned a lot over the last three years. I truly now have deep relationships mm -hmm. with friends. It's like every day I'm in touch with at least 20 people, whether it's a quick text or something, but there's so much, I love mm -hmm. you. And there's just so much intimacy and I spread it around. Like my friendships weren't that deep before yeah. when I was in this past relationship. And so what I've gained is a life, yeah. you know, and now I can seamlessly see how someone could fit into that in a, in a way. But I never used to understand like shows like Sex in the City where they're like, my yeah. girlfriends are my soulmates. I was like, what? I literally didn't get that, you know? Um, and so it's it's just interesting because it's like, it's these little things that I feel like people don't 
articulate where it's like, I'm not a love addict. I'm not a whatever, whatever. It's like, I literally didn't know that you don't give everything to your partner because it was just well, nobody common teaches wisdom. That. Nobody teaches that. Nobody teaches that. It has nothing to do with what my parents did. It's just, you hear these common wisdoms that are like, your partner should be your best friend. They should be your everything. They're your other I, half. You complete me. Yeah. This might be a conversation for another day, but like what you're also speaking to is how we used to just think, our attachment was based off of our parents or our primary caregivers. Now we're looking at how our attachment system is created off of our life experiences. So if I'm seeing all this content that's saying your partner should be your other half, your partner should complete you. Like, wow, then, no way. Yeah, so then I'm taking that into my psyche and I'm like, okay, then I'm going to be looking for the person that does these things. And if we look at media, TV, the shows that even like I just went to Disney World with my um, niece, my two little nieces. And I'm looking at these like princesses and these fairy tales. And I think they're so cute and they're awesome and they're wonderful. But also I was taught how to have relationships mm-hmm. through those movies of like your Prince Charming will come and fix you and sweep you off your feet and make everything better. So then you're going to be yeah. looking, that's shaping how relationships should be. So if I'm not getting that, then there's a message in my head that's like, well, there's something wrong with me. Why am I not getting that? It's interesting you say that because honestly, I did not know that we truly are shaped by media because it sounds so trite almost mm-hmm. like, oh, come on, how could we be that influenced? I mean, we're not stupid, but it's really good to hear mm-hmm. that. I, I had no idea that that can inform mm-hmm. our attachment styles as much as our caregivers. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Yeah. And if you look at, I, I'm so grateful for this, but a lot of stuff is changing, especially in like um, the younger generations, TV and stories that are being exposed. Um, but yeah. if you look at that, the way that relationships were shown and displayed is very unrealistic. And if you are watching that, and here's another thing, somebody who has an avoidant attachment style is going to probably watch a lot of TV because it's a self-soothing and a way to like um, avoid and just dismiss life. I'm going to be sucked into that. So I'm taking all this information in. And then the information that I'm taking in is telling me this is what a relationship looks like. This is what a family looks like. If I'm that young, I don't know how to differentiate between this is not real and this is real. Wow. We'll continue the interview on the flip side of a quick message from our sponsors. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare we started talking about this incident drugs and uh, officials cover up <laughs> you couldn't believe it from iheart podcasts It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. 
When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. All right, now take me through the two anxious styles. Okay, so we talked a lot about avoidance, so I'm going to start with the anxious. So an anxious, and there's a great way that I easily differentiate between the two. So somebody who has an anxious attachment style, they are somebody who has been like shown hope and given hope, and then it's been taken away. So mm-hmm. they've seen people show up. They've seen relationships um, work out. They've se- if we go back to early um, experiences, their parents are there sometimes. It's like, imagine you play soccer. Like sometimes your parents come to your games and sometimes they don't. So like there's an expectation that they might be there. Mm-hmm. So I have hope and then it's been taken away. I have hope and it's been taken away. So then when I have the thing I want, the relationship, I become this like stage five clinger because 
I, I know it's going to leave. I don't know when. So I want to hold on to it as tight as I can right now. And I'm going to do everything I can to keep it here. They kind of have a sixth sense. Uh, and this is like, none of these things are bad. I just want to say that too. It doesn't, I'm not like yeah. demonizing people for having an anxious attachment. I grew up with a very anxious attachment. It's just, uh, they're survival strategies, really. So yeah. they kind of developed the sixth sense where they're more likely to be able to sense like danger or something off. Their like gut reactions are like really pretty good. However, mm. they they um they kind of move too fast. So they assume too quickly. They don't have this like moment where they can like breathe and just like wait to see what happens. They get that gut reaction. They have to like move on it right then and there. So do you mean that it could be a gut reaction of I like you so they could get attached too quickly too or no? Well, yes, but that's kind of for a different reason. I'm saying I'm the the gut reaction I'm kind of referring to is like that something's wrong. Something's wrong. Okay. So instead of like just mm-hmm. sitting with it, they can't yes, hang, they, they can't cannot. feel their feelings. They got to react. They gotta, yes. They have to fix it. They have no ability to self-regulate. And attachment is based off of emotional regulation. And the emotion that we're focused on the most is fear. So they sense fear and they cannot sit with it. So imagine you're texting the person you're dating and you guys are having a conversation back and forth. It's great. Or maybe this is somebody early and very early in dating too. Yeah. So going back and forth, the conversation's great, whatever. All of a sudden you see like the, the dot, 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 the bubbles, and then they go away. And then he mm. never responds. Yeah. Something's wrong. Automatically, I'm making up a story of like, oh, was what I said not funny? Did they not like it? Did I hurt their feelings? Did they decide they don't like me anymore? Did Like there's a hundred stories when maybe the reality is he dropped his phone in the sink or he put his phone down mm. to go for a run. Or he is in a meeting and his boss walked into the room or something. Yeah. There's no like reality checking. It's this narrative that something is wrong. And now I have to fix it. So then you end up sending like 15 text messages to this person. You know? Yeah. Um, When really what... And and in that moment, I mean, uh, what you're saying, you know, we've seen it on TV a million times. Oh my God, do they not like me? Was Mm -hmm. I not funny? I mean, any human is capable of thinking that, but the difference is, is... I can think that and then put my phone down yeah. and make a cup of coffee and go, oh, God, I'm so embarrassed. I hope I didn't say anything yes. dumb. Yeah. But the, the, the person with, the, with that attachment style who's not emotionally regulated, they can't. They have to they react. Fix it. They, get, they have to get soothed by that person that made them yes. anxious. Nobody yes. else. They can't go make a cup of coffee and sit there and just like drink it and feel the warmth and like be in the moment. They have to go fix what they, in quotes, messed Oof. up. However... I will say this for anybody who does relate to that. What I always tell clients is you saying one thing like that, like maybe you did say a a joke and they didn't think it was funny or whatever. If somebody likes you and they have a secure attachment, you saying one joke that they don't think is funny isn't going to be like, oh, never mind. I don't like them anymore. They're just going to be like, oh, that was a weird joke. It's so interesting, though, because... On the receiving end of that, if that other person isn't secure and they're freaked out by all the texting... It's so funny because it sucks for the anxious person because it really isn't about that person that didn't write you back. You're not obsessed with them. It's all about you. Am I worthy of being you know? loved? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because it gives us this, this impression that like they're obsessed with me. And it's like, no, they're obsessed with themselves. Like you said. Yeah. <laughs> the, it, it, it's like that whole saying, you know, it's not you, it's me. It's like so mm-hmm. true. But but you're right. It's like, so they're trying to figure out, am I worthy of being loved? Oh, my God. It's so, mm-hmm. it's so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. And, and 
both of these insecure attachments, they are both struggling with the same exact thing. Somebody who's anxious, their biggest fear is rejection and abandonment. Right. So they're clinging, but, but they're going to they're going to make it happen. Right. A hundred percent. Because yeah, no matter who you are, if somebody sends you 15 text messages in a row, I hope that they would be like a uh, red flag. Oh. Right. So you're tr- what you're doing is you're trying to run towards that person and pull them back in. But you're running towards that person. and You're really pushing them away. So the thing about that. So that's the anxious person. The avoidant person has the same fear. I don't want to be rejected and I don't want to be abandoned. But instead Mm. of them running towards somebody to pull them back in, they're going to run away first. So you can't leave me. Mm Because they've they never had hope. So go back to the hope. They they always lost hope. So if we talk mm. about the soccer game, mom, dad, nanny, whoever it is that's taking care of them, never shows up to the game. They don't even know they have a game. Mm. They don't even know they play soccer. So <laughs> so they are not they're just all over here by themselves. So I'm gonna go ahead and run away and get out of this before you can leave me because I know that eventually you will. So I'm gonna yeah. go take care of myself. I'm gonna stop telling mom, dad, nanny, whoever, that I have a soccer game because I know they're not going to come. Where the anxious person is going to remind them 15 times that day and make sure that they get there 20 minutes early and they're going to spot them before the game. And if they're not there, they're going to go call them. So now let me ask you, um, what does the secure person who has a normal healthy fear of abandonment and rejection, how do they feel inside? How do they act on that? Or so somebody who has a secure attachment, they grew up with the idea that I am worthy of love and belonging. So they have that. So they can they can regulate their emotions. They can feel rejected or abandoned, not like it. It doesn't feel good, but they can sit with it and know that this doesn't define me. Breakups can still be really, 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 really hard because they are sad and there's a lot of grief in that. And there's a lot in that. And they know that they don't, they don't ask those questions. Well, what did I do wrong? How can I fix it? They're just mm. like, oh, that it's like what you're talking about. It's like, oh man, that could have been something really awesome. And it's not. And that's a bummer. But this doesn't define yeah. who I am. And there will be somebody else. Somebody who's mm. anxious in their head when they're dating somebody and they start to see these like maybe red flag things and then they start to like cling on to them because the red flag things are freaking them out. They think in their head, there will never be somebody else that will be there like this. I will never find somebody that I can connect with like this. And going back to the fairy tales that we're told, our soulmate, Mm -hmm. our one soulmate. If I think that we have one soulmate, if I find myself in a relationship and I'm in love with that person, I have to make it work because I have one soulmate and I can't lose my one soulmate. Right. This is like life or death in a way, like, because you're convinced really not even that that much based on the person that they're that one chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is life or death because if we go back to our attachment system, we have to be connected to people to survive and to thrive. So in their heads, if this person leaves me, I mean, we've, I felt this, I will say, I'll speak for myself. I felt this. The end of a relationship literally feels like I'm dying. Like it, physically mm-hmm. hurts. And part of that is because the same systems light up inside of our body when we feel emotional pain and physical pain. So I am really thinking I'm going to die. I remember saying like, I feel like I'm dying. Yeah. Because well, if I can't have this person, I won't be able to survive and thrive. I need attachment and connection. But what I didn't know is you can find it through somebody else. This is a huge question. Not going to solve it on a podcast. But 
But basically, like the the generic, you know, like you're not giving someone advice telling them to go do this right now. But like in general, how do anxiously attached people move into secure mm-hmm. attachment? What 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 does it take? Yeah. So the good question and a question that I think a lot of people want to have like a really easy answer to. And the answer is yeah. pretty simple. But it's just hard to do. You're not going to heal your attachment through reading a book or listening to a podcast. You might identify it. You might be like, oh my gosh, that's me, which is awesome. Awareness is the first step always. But what somebody needs is they actually need to find a secure base of a human being um, so that they can actually feel like somebody isn't going to always leave. Because we've developed this attachment because we had the hope and it left. We had the hope and it left. We had the hope and it left. We need some stability. So what it requires, it, it requires us to one, be able to regulate our emotions Because in all relationships, you're going to have experiences where there's like um, uneasiness, right? There's going to be arguments. There's going to be fights. There's, I mean, even with your therapist, I've had times with my own therapist where I was like boycotting her because I was upset. But in my head, it wasn't this relationship is going to end because she said this one thing that hurt my feelings. And now I think that she doesn't like me. And so I'm never going to see her again. It's like, okay, I need a break. We're having like a rough patch. She's going to still be there when I go back though. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's what they mean when they say like your therapist can kind of mimic. Oh, 100%. That's relationships. That's all as a, and that's why therapy is so important when it comes to um, healing attachment wounds. And I say that knowing that not everybody can afford therapy. um, Mm -hmm. And so there's, this isn't end all be all. But a therapist is literally going to be a secure base for you, which is what we need in life to be able to have a secure attachment. Because you can say whatever you want. I've had clients that have cursed at me and said probably some of the meanest things I've ever heard, slammed my door so hard that the frames fell off the walls. Like I had a client who Mm -hmm. ran away from treatment and had to chase her down a dirt road. Like I've had all, yes, (laughs) yes, uh, yes. I've had it all. But what I will do is I'm still going to show up to your appointment the next time. I'm still going to come back to work. Mm. I'm not going to leave unless it becomes like where you're being like uh, unsafe and I have fear for myself. I'm always going to show up no matter what. I'm going to be that secure base that will show you, you can mess up, you can say things and I can mess up. I can say things and we can repair relationships. There can be rupture and I can have repair. And you can do that with people. An avoidant person is going to go repair by themselves. They're like, you're not working out for me. An avoidant person in therapy either doesn't know why they're there because somebody else asked them to go or it's like Mm. annoying to them. We as therapists are like a bother to them. They're annoyed by us. So they're like, we don't need you. As soon as we start to like tap in and they start to feel and then their their footy pajamas start to get kind of like unzipped. They're like, I got to go piece by. I'm going to go figure this by myself. For them to heal, it's like Mm. you have to stay in it. We want you to regulate with somebody. Somebody who has an anxious attachment, they need to learn that they can regulate through relationships and they can regulate alone at times. They don't need everything to be perfect all the time. We can have a disagreement and you can go home, make a cup of coffee, drink a cup of tea, sit on the couch and sit with that feeling. And I'm not going to leave you. You know, a lot of times people will say, you know, therapy didn't work out for me. I thought the person was this, that, or the other. It's like, but you can actually sit there and say to them, I think you're crazy. Yes. I think you're stupid and don't know what you're talking about. Now, maybe you do have a therapist that, you know, it's not everyone's great. But 
if you have the right therapist, then that's where you, your jumping off point oh is my together. God. I have I have to tell this story because that's exactly what you're talking about. I had a client yeah. in... Uh, I we're not supposed to play favorites, but I really loved this client. She was so nervous <laughs> <had> favorites. <laughs> we, I mean, yeah, we we're human too. So there's people that were like, I yeah. love working with her. Like she was yeah. tough, and her transformation was so cool to see. And in the very beginning of our work together, we started doing a timeline because we we're going through a trauma. She came in one day and she was like, "Just so you know, I think this is. Can I curse on here?" Yes. Okay. She's like, just so you know, I think this is bullshit. I don't really understand what you're doing. It's not helping me. And I feel like I'm wasting my money. Like you keep saying all this stuff, but like, do you even know what you're talking about? It was amazing. And we had our whole session that day was all about her confronting me on things and me sitting there and being like, okay, and having a conversation from then that moment was like the turning point because she was ready. She didn't even want to come that day. She was like, I was just not going to show up, but my mom made me. And I was like, okay, cool. Love your mom. Um, but she was like, mm-hmm. I, after that conversation, it was like she could trust me because she got to ask the hard questions and I wasn't like mad at her. I was, I didn't like mm-hmm. back down and cower. I was like, oh yeah, this makes sense. And that's what I I tell all my clients in our first session. Sometimes they forget it is if I'm doing something and you're like, this isn't helping, tell me because you're, yeah. this is a experiment and this is practice on how we want you to show up in the world outside of this room. So if you can't confront me where you're literally paying me, I'm here for you. Yeah. How are you going to do that with anybody? But I want you to see that you can confront me and you can say whatever you want. And I'm not going to say, get out of my office. Yeah. And they need that, that actual like action. So knowledge is great, but we change our systems, our attachment systems through like actually going through the motions. So how would someone do it who's not in therapy right now? You know, they're going to go in six months, but how can they get started? Can they do this with friends? Can they Mm -hmm. do it by themselves? So you can heal your attachment. It doesn't have to be through a therapist. You can heal it through finding secure people in our lives. But we have to be aware of what we're looking for. And this goes to therapy, too, because it's true. Not every therapist is good. And so if we can find people who feel safe and we can actually be honest about those red flags that we see, then we can learn how to do that through actual relationships in our lives. We don't have to do it in like a therapeutic office. It's just sometimes it's easier that way. Anxiety Bites will be right back after a quick little message from one of our sponsors. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. 
There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. So this this thing that Patty Stanger says to people, you know, you have the wrong picker. It does seem almost magical, like... I don't want to meet people who do X and I swear to God, it's not like I'm, I'm going to like, you know, their profile and reading every horrible thing about them and picking them. It is literally across a bar. I meet eyes with someone Mm -hmm. or on an app. We Mm -hmm. match. How then? How, how is it so fucking, I mean, it's freaky. I mean, when we talk about psychology, we rarely talk about vibes and spirit. Like this is almost spiritual or Mm -hmm. magical or weird. It's freaky. How do we 
find these people when we really don't want it? Like literally, how does it work that that a, I'm across a bar and I find an attachment style that doesn't work for me? What is going on underneath there? How do we sense it? So there is a part that is like the magical feature. And it's just, it is so freaky when you think about it. And it goes back to like Freudian stuff in the beginning, which is like really, really weird when you read about it, that we do have this like aura that we're attracted to. There is like, like when you talk about like pheromones and stuff like that, it's almost something like that, where we are attracted to what we know and it pulls us in. There's that part. And there's this other part where sometimes what's happening is you're meeting the same people that everybody else is meeting. But when we have insecure attachments, we're less likely to recognize the red flags. So a lot of times when we get stuck in these relationships over and over and over and over again, let's just go with the anxious, uh, if I have an anxious attachment, I keep finding these people and keep finding myself in these relationships and this person is just avoidant and then and they're leaving me over and over. How do I keep doing this? It's because when I see the red flags, when I see somebody who is all love bombing in the beginning and it's like all about me and then suddenly they start to drift away and drift away and drift away. Instead of me seeing a red flag and being like, oh, this looks like avoidant behavior, I'm sticking around longer because I'm going to, my head, I want to change it. I'm like, I have to, I have to prove that I'm worthy of their love. I have to prove it. Where somebody with a secure attachment is like, this guy or this girl is cuckoo. I've got to get out of this. They're giving me all these mixed messages. This is not for me. I love what you said. You are meeting the same people that everyone else is. It's just we, you're taking one extra step. Mm -hmm just staying in it longer. Mm -hmm. I love that because I think if the, the headline here, if you have 10 seconds only, mm -hmm. that's the most mm -hmm. important thing that is just a quick soundbite is you're meeting the same people that everyone else is. It is not about that initial thing. Mm -hmm. It is about what happens one day later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you just go, oh, not for me. And there's so oh, much, that's there's so many like and sometimes I think they're funny, but all these memes and stuff that are like make fun of being attracted to red flags. And I'm like, can we stop doing that? Because that's not something to laugh about. That's like your your attachment that is actually causing you a lot of pain that where you're mm -hmm. like red flag, I'm going to stick with it. Where a secure person is like red flag, got to go by. Man, this, this yeah, stinks. Right. I wish this wasn't this way, but I got to go. Yeah. So do you ever see couples that are like attachment styles that don't normally work out stay together and it works out like that, that that's like the magic of them um no I will <laughs> like to put it simply like no like I I think that's like this like fairy tale that people want they want that to be possible but they're confusing it with like opposites yeah, attract in a way rarely you're gonna yeah. find because if you have an avoidant and an anxious person the anxious person is gonna lean in the avoidant's gonna lean out if you have two avoidant people they're both gonna lean out if you have two anxious people that is just a hot mess disaster like that is just a chaotic <laughs> like the most most toxic relationship that you can think about, that you can think of. So that's not to say, because we know attachment systems can change or it can change. Yeah. That's not to say you'll never be able to be with this person, but while they're in their stuff, this is not going to be good. Well, what about an anxious and a secure? If the secure is like so secure that they're like, um, get your shit together, but I'm not going anywhere, but... And then they do. That could happen. And there's a spectrum of this, right? So I think that we're, yeah. we're getting into this, this part where like you could be secure and have some anxious tendencies, but you're not fully over here anxiously attached. You've done some of okay. your work because most likely 90% of the time, a secure person who starts dating somebody anxious is going to be like, this is, I got to go. 
Yeah. Because I think I'm secure with some avoidant yes. tendencies. Yeah. 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 And so I, I can catch them enough. But if someone calls me on it, I can say, oh, you know what? Yeah, that's a thing I do. Here's where it's 100%. coming from. Like, I want to be in this. I'm so sorry. This is my default yes. mode. But it's like, it's not, um, yeah, I'm aware of it. But but I see what you you're You don't saying. have so the really, jammies fully zipped up. No, they're like half undone. So I can pee easy. <laughs> So it's sort of like, it's not to say that everyone has to be 100% secure. And those are the only people in the world that make it work. So it's like, there's a spectrum. Yeah. So you can be secure with blank and blank tendencies. Mm -hmm. So that gives everyone a lot of hope. There's a lot of fluidity out there. Well, you know what I also say, because I get that question all of the time from clients. It's like, well, I think they're avoidant, but but don't you think I can make it work? Like, don't you think? And I will say, it wouldn't work for me, but it depends on how healthy you want your relationship to be. Oh. <laughs> oh, and then they're like, okay. Well. <laughs> so it's so true. And it's like, it can work, but are they at their therapist asking this question? Probably mm-hmm. not. Probably not. Yeah. I always picture like, what's the other person doing? Are they caring about this as yeah. much? And it's just like, oh, but, yeah, because you have to think about somebody, if they're in their attachment, what they're doing is working for them. So an avoidant person who has, is leaving, getting in these relationships, it's awesome. And they leave, that's working for them because they don't have to face their biggest fear. Yeah. So if it's working for them, they're not going to want to change it. So is there something about, you know, the loneliness that, mm-hmm that people aren't expressing because they're embarrassed yeah. that can lead to anxiety. Yeah, which is so like gut-wrenching to me because I used to say when people were like, what do you specialize in? I would say like loneliness because everybody mm. that's coming into my office, the root of their stuff is they're bidding for connection in some way. And there are studies that have been done talking about attachment. They've done, they were done in research on attachment theory that show when you are exposed to an anxiety provoking event, if you are holding hands with a stranger, your um, anxiety levels are lower than if you're just by yourself. And if a stranger, like somebody you don't even know. Mm. And then of course, if you're holding hands with somebody that you're connected to, your anxiety levels are like way, 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 way down. So yeah, I think that if I could give any like hope to anybody in this realm of um, sadness around like relationships or I don't have my one person. It's like, you don't need like that one, 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 one special person to feel okay in the world and to regulate. You just need to be connected to somebody. You need to be open up to mm-hmm. somebody. And just so you know, everybody is struggling with this and has struggled with this at some point in their life. Everybody has felt the feeling of loneliness. We all have the same emotions. All humans have the same exact emotions and we've all mm-hmm. felt all of them. So you're not alone in being lonely. I love that. You're so brilliant. Oh. I love I love hearing everything you have to say. And I know we only scratched the yeah. surface on all of this, but I think it gives a good idea to people to, you know, stay away from the memes. They're funny, but yeah, you know. Keep a distance from them. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, self self-diagnosing is one thing, but just becoming aware of something is probably just mm-hmm. keep it there. Mm-hmm. And uh don't text back like a cuckoo. 
I mean, at least we can start there. Yeah, that's where we Text started. someone else. I used to tell people, I had one client where she always was like, I want to, I w-, she would send these novel texts. And then eventually I was like, you need to get like a hobby, like maybe you garden or something when you want to text. And then she sent me a picture one day where she had gone to like a plant store and bought like five, like 500 plants. She was like, okay, <laughs> my anxiety is now costing me all this money in gardening. It was so funny. So if anything, if you want to text somebody, go find another hobby. Take your mind off of it for a second. I hope you learned a lot from this episode and you can follow Kat on social media. She on Instagram is at Kat, K-A-T dot D-E-F-A-T-T-A and at You Need Therapy Podcast. Both of those are Instagram handles. And of course, the link to everything Kat is in our show notes. If you want to read takeaways from this episode or other episodes, I will put the link in the show notes or you can go to jenkirkman.com slash anxiety bites podcast. If you are listening to this like the second it drops on Wednesday, my takeaways might not be up yet, but keep checking and certainly you can read ones from past episodes. If you want to send an email to the podcast about what you've learned, if you have any questions, if you want to share your anxiety tricks and tips and inspirations, please email the show anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com and it may be read on a future episode. Please use a fake first name if you don't want your real first name to be read on air. All right, let's get into the takeaways. There are so many in this episode. Attachment styles are fluid. You can have an insecure attachment early on and then move into secure attachment as you get older. It can change. The three types of attachment styles in adults are secure attachment, anxious attachment, which is sometimes called preoccupied, and avoidant attachment, which is sometimes called dismissive. Often, therapists can misdiagnose a patient with love addiction or relationship codependency when it's really more of an attachment style issue, but people with anxious or avoidant attachment styles can sometimes exhibit signs of other things. Most people who stay with a partner who isn't fulfilling their needs, they're not staying to change their partner, but to prove to themselves that they're worthy and lovable by trying to get someone ambivalent about them to love them. There are early attachment styles and there are adult attachment styles. Early attachment styles are determined by our relationship to our primary caregiver, and that does not have to be an actual relative. People with the avoidant, adult avoidant attachment style may seem to love bomb someone at first, and that's not because they're deceptive or a narcissist, but because it's a way for them to avoid their feelings or their needs, and they exclusively focus on someone else. Most people with anxious or avoidant attachment styles are not going to do too well with one another. And people um, with secure attachment styles can still have little traces of avoidant or anxious. But the news that people probably don't want to hear is you cannot change someone's attachment style. They have to do that themselves and usually not while they're in the relationship with you. An avoidant person has been taught to shut off their needs and their feelings. Catherine says to imagine someone wearing footy pajamas that are zipped all the way up as a visual image of what that looks like. 
The avoidance subconscious thought cycle is if I have feelings, feelings signify a need. So if I have feelings, I'm going to have a need. And every time I have a need, my needs aren't met. So I'm going to go backwards and not have needs or feelings. Avoidance can self-soothe by overworking, playing video games, preoccupy themselves on social media, all to get away from interpersonal relationships. We were created to need people and connection, but we don't have to exclusively get our needs met by romantic relationships. An avoidant will over-self-soothe and an anxious attached person will under-self-soothe so that it becomes that the only way to soothe themselves is through one special person. Somebody with an anxious attachment style has been shown hope and they've had that hope taken away. So when they get the love that they want or think that they have the love that they want, they can cling for fear of that love leaving. An anxiously attached person almost has a sixth sense about being abandoned and their gut reactions about things being wrong are pretty good, but they move too fast when they react to those feelings. Anxiously attached people have to fix what they think is wrong immediately because they can't self-regulate their emotions and they can't just sit in it and take a minute. An anxiously attached person will be running towards somebody to pull them back in for fear of losing them, but what they're really doing is pushing that person away. And an avoidant has the same fear. They don't want to be rejected or abandoned, but they run away first so that they can't be rejected. A securely attached person does not like to be abandoned or rejected, but they believe that they belong and they're worthy of love. They can self-regulate their emotions. They can sit with their feelings and know that this breakup doesn't define them. They don't ask, what did I do wrong? How can I go back and fix it? Nobody's picker is off. We may find ourselves drawn to people who aren't good for us, but anxious and avoidant attached people, they meet all of the same people that securely attached people meet. But the difference is, they will stay in something and ignoring the red flags and the securely attached stop at red flags. But it can get confusing and make you think that your initial picker is wrong. We can develop our adult attachment styles for better or worse through media like TV and movies and the stories they tell about love. A therapist can be a secure base for a patient to help them practice moving into a secure attachment style. Again, thank you for listening to Anxiety Bites. Everything you need is in the show notes. And just remember, anxiety bites, but you're in control. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 